You're listening to Think Brazos, a podcast about housing affordability and financial stability for families in Brazos County. Your housing costs are impacted by policies at every single level of government. So housing is always on the ballot. That's why Think Brazos is excited to share with you these local candidate interviews so that you're ready to vote down ballot in the election this November. If 2020 wasn't crazy enough already, four out of seven of the College Station City Council seats will be decided this November. We interviewed the two candidates for place four, which, like all the other College Station positions, is an at-large race. In this episode, Charles Coates interviews Elizabeth Kuna, who is running for College Station City Council place four, to discuss her background and ideas for College Station. We'll leave a link in the show notes for her opponent, Joe Guerra's episode. Enjoy the interview! So this is Charles Coates of Think Brazos. It's a platform that really focuses on local issues in our community that impact affordable housing as well as financial stability. Our slogan is Think Local, Think Brazos. And we are a new podcast that is operated by Bryan College Station Habitat for Humanity. And our vision is a county, Brazos County, where everyone has a decent, affordable place to call home. And this is kind of our reason for doing these sorts of interviews and and projects. So today, we are really thankful to be joined by Elizabeth Kuna. She is a candidate for the Place 4 College Station elections coming up now in November. And just as a background, myself and Ms. Kuna were really hoping to do an interview of this sort all the way back in March, and then COVID happened, right? So it's been postponed and postponed. So this is going to be part of our project of interviewing many council members, incumbents, as well as challengers to ask about some of the most pressing issues in in housing affordability, as well as other issues that impact the livelihoods of families in this county. So again, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Great. Wonderful to be here. So, Ms. Kuna, tell me a little bit of just basic background. Who is Elizabeth Kuna and what makes you so interested in running for this office? Well, I've lived in the community for over 30 years. This is where I raised all my children and some of my grandchildren are being raised here now. Some of my adult children settled here. And so, this community gave a lot to me, a lot of support to me as I was raising my family here. It's a wonderful place to raise kids. And I would like my children and their children to have that same experience. And so really, I just want College Station to stay the great place to raise a family that it has been for me. And so really, that's my motivator. My husband teaches school in Bryan, and I work at Consol here in College Station. We're just public servants. We don't have a business or a special interest other than the community and just wanting to really help it stay a thriving, positive place for people to grow. Great, great. Now, let me ask you this. You didn't mention about your service that you're already doing in College Station. You serve on the Planning and Zoning Committee currently, correct? Sure. Yes. I I serve on planning and zoning, which is fantastic. I've had previous service on Parks and Rec. I chaired that committee some Mm -hmm. time ago. 
and I also serve on the Bio Corridor Committee and the Comprehensive Plan Evaluation Committee. And so this really is a good season for me to invest in city service. And as I've done that, I found out a lot about how the city works and mm -hmm. the magic, you know, that, that we experience as recipients in the city. There's a lot of people behind that curtain that right. put in a lot of time and talent into making it happen. And so through my city service on these various boards and committees, I've really gone to appreciate all the people behind the magic that is College Station. Right. Wow. That is a lot. Wow. I, I really didn't know about some of the service that you had done. Definitely about the planning and zoning, though. But for our purposes and, and talking about particularly housing today, can you explain for our listeners a little more about the planning and zoning committee? And what is that? A lot of, a lot of our citizens maybe have heard the term before, but don't necessarily know what is it that y'all do. Right. So the Planning and Zoning Board is appointed by the City Council. Anyone that wants to serve on a board, whether it's the Library Board or the Parks and Recreation Board, you just fill out an application and the city, when it comes time to make appointments, they'll pull those applications and they'll appoint people from the pool of interested candidates. Planning and Zoning specifically is involved in steering the development of the city so mm -hmm. that you have You've probably been to cities that look really haphazard in the way that they right. flow. and the, Yeah, so we're much more plan-oriented. And so it's about where do you want businesses and where do you want homes and how do you want the roads to link those together? And so that's impervious surfaces comes up sometimes. And so it's just issues about the layout of the city on the broadest, most high-level description I can offer you. That's planning and zoning. And we meet once a month and the meetings are open to the public. And right now they're on Zoom, so you can mm -hmm. watch them from the comfort of your living room. And they're all recorded and archived. So if you're just interested and you want to go back and see the last one, it's every other week, every other Thursday. Got it. And I imagine through the, your service on the planning and zoning, you probably get quite a bit of interaction with sometimes frustrated citizens over various issues, right? They can come and they can actually speak mm -hmm. before you about an issue. Is that right? Absolutely. So you maybe you've seen those little signs in the yard that talk about there's a zoning change coming up, you know, yes. call this number. And so often there's public hearings and you can come and talk or phone in if it's a Zoom meeting and share your concern. And you're right. A lot of times people are very concerned. Change is unsettling and some people are apprehensive right. and they're not sure what it's going to look like and so if you are concerned come come and talk to us or send us emails we're supposed to be representing the citizens and so we want to hear those feelings and those thoughts okay so before we get into a little more of the the details i'd like to zoom out if that's okay for a minute and look at college sure. station as a whole what would you say miss kuna if you had to just pick two, maybe three, of the top challenges facing College Station, especially in the coming year or two, what would you say that those are? And essentially, what types of things would you do as a council person to overcome those? I know that's a broad question, but we'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Sure. And you know, the answers pre-COVID and post-COVID. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so um, before COVID, we were talking yeah. mainly about traffic congestion because that's right. what was on the minds and hearts of the, of exactly. the citizens. Um, but when everyone shelters at home, it turns out we have plenty of roads and right. there's no traffic congestion at all. <laughs> 
and so that isn't so much a concern now as economic development is a concern. And that's really moved to the forefront and what's happening to our businesses and then the people that they employ and the sales tax that's contributed to the budget. And so right now, the main concern is how do we get College Station opening and, sure. and functioning? And we're all those students are an important part of our economic functioning. And we're really hoping that they come back and they feel welcome and that and that we start moving forward again. So right now I would say it's economic development, but okay. you know, when I started this race, it was right. definitely traffic congestion. So, it, and I think that's important to be able to shift and respond <laughs> to what's happening right this minute. That's right. Every, everybody has to have quite a bit of flexibility, whether you're working in city government or in my case, a nonprofit. Yeah, we're all yeah. having to definitely adapt. You know, you mentioned students. My next question, finally getting to the affordable housing part of this, is I just want to get your opinion. You know, a lot of cities all over the country state that they have an affordable housing crisis of some sort. There are different levels. But as far as College Station, do we have an affordable housing problem? Is it a full-blown crisis? Uh, yes, yes, I absolutely say yes, we have an affordable housing problem. I can see it when our school district says we have 75 homeless families in the mm. district. That was of January of 2020 that I got an email that said that. And so that's a concern. My son, who I told you is settled here and, and brought his family here, I watched them go through trying to purchase a home on his income. Mm -hmm. It was very difficult right. to, to find a home on an entry level income. And so with personal experiences, I can tell you, we do have an affordable housing issue here in College Station. And so I'm glad we're talking about it. And I'm grateful for the programs that are trying to address the problem because yes, mm -hmm. here in College Station, we do have a problem. Yes, absolutely. And we definitely could not agree more both on this podcast and Habitat for Humanity as generally. And just to make my own comment here in College Station, one of the things that I've read is that you know that your town or city has an affordable housing problem, especially when you start seeing the working professionals that are, for example, coming to Habitat for Health. What I mean by that mm -hmm. is the firefighters, the police officers. Yes the um, EMS technicians. And we have seen all of the above, particularly those who need to or want to live in College Station. So it's interesting to see that the difference between the two cities, but we started seeing you know, some of those working professionals, like I mentioned in the last few years, especially. So we couldn't agree more and our line keeps getting longer there, both mm -hmm. cities. So yeah, absolutely. Now, let me just follow up with that. What do you think are some of the main causes? There's always going to be more than one, but what are some things that pop out to you maybe that are either causing it to be too difficult for a family to afford a place to stay in College Station, rent or home ownership? Yeah, so I do think it's complex and I think it's interrelated. And so I think one of the things that really impacts affordable housing here is that we don't have very many small footprint homes mm -hmm. here. The, yes. So the starter level home is not a saturated market. And so the prices get super competitive. And then there's the issue of property taxes. I've now paid more in property taxes than I did for the purchase price of my home. And so 
it adds a substantial amount to that monthly payment. That's right. And so I do think property taxes plays a role in making it very difficult to get into a housing situation, even if you're a renter. I mean, if you extend affordable housing to the idea of just renting, right. that landlord still has to cover those property taxes and that's it's going right. to be built into the rent. And so I definitely think that's an issue also. Okay. And so I, I think a lack of inventory and then the burden of property taxes in combination, I think those are the two major players in affordable housing. And when we insist that a lot size must be half an acre or a lot size must be an acre, we have already priced ourselves out of offering affordable housing in that area of town. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I thought, oh, of course, of course that's true. But, you know, sometimes I just didn't connect it to affordable yes. housing. And I think just taking each issue as it comes and saying, okay, how does this affect affordable housing? How does mm -hmm. that affect affordable housing? And recognizing that it's all interconnected. And when you start messing with one part, it's going to ripple right. into other parts. And so when we do set up zonings and we say these neighborhoods are going to be this big and these neighborhoods are going to be this big, what we're also saying is we're not going to have affordable housing in those neighborhoods. And I think that's a hard truth that we need to own and then decide, is that what we want to be saying? And if it's not, we need to change some of our zoning. I'm glad you brought that up with the, what you're really talking about is the minimum lot size requirements and, and how you, that yes. really impacts the availability of housing, which then trickles down to the amount of housing out there and the affordability becomes harder and harder to deal with for most working families. I'm glad you brought that up because one of my questions here that I think is fundamental is Think Brazos, which again is a brand new kind of a platform for talking about issues that affect affordability and Habitat for Humanity. Locally, our, one of our main advocacy issues that you'll hear more and more about is really talking about zoning and its impact on affordable housing and really wanting to see maybe not comprehensive but some significant reforms to zoning as it is right now one of them being the minimum lot size because as you mentioned so well that it really has a huge effect on who can afford what because it creates more scarcity than is necessary I know you probably can't 100% come out and say what direction you would lean, but if you were elected on the city council, would you at least at a minimum be interested in looking into the idea of minimum lot size and its impact on affordability and whether there's some changes that we might be able to make? I'm not asking to put you on the spot as far as would you push this? I'm just saying, would that be something you would pursue and look into? So... I will say philosophically, I am always open to discussing things. I don't think it's a good idea to say, hey, we shouldn't be talking about that or we shouldn't put that on the right. table. I will tell you that earlier you asked me, do we ever have very intense people speaking before the Planning and Zoning Commission about things we're deciding? Minimum lot size, when you own a home in an area that has a minimum, a substantially large minimum lot size, mm -hmm. people get very intense when you start talking about dividing lots and subdividing lots right. and making some lots smaller. They do not want that. And so I think it would take a lot of discussion and a lot of convincing to get a right. lot of voters behind the idea that we wanted to increase density in subdivisions mm -hmm. to allow for affordable housing 
because right. there is a lot of resistance. Mm -hmm. I mean, even even in things so small as can we have a bike path that goes through your neighborhood that connects to other bike paths? We've had issues on the PNZ where right. homeowners have said we don't want people biking through our neighborhood. And so I wish as a city collectively larger than even affordable housing. Right. I wish as a city, we were very resistant to us and them conversations. I think as a city, we, we fall easily into the trap of saying us and them and confusing the idea of uniformity with the idea of unity, right? right? So I think sometimes as a city, we want people to live by us that look like us and talk like us and act like us and go to work with us. That's uniformity. Right. That's not unity. Mm -hmm. And often when we try to pursue uniformity, we fracture unity. They cannot coexist. And so I think just a very elemental beginning level conversation about the difference between uniformity and unity. I had one gentleman at a PNZ meeting express a lot of concern about uh, affordable housing and what that might look like. The city has a community development block grants mm -hmm. to help homeowners just get into that first home. As we talked about earlier, the rental prices and the homeowner prices for our starter home are fairly comparable. Sure. They're not that different. What separates somebody from being able to buy a house versus remaining a renter for the rest of their lives is just getting that down payment to right. just get into the house. And then they can handle the mortgage payment. It's similar to the rental payment. And so the city has a program, the Community Development Block Grant Program, to help people get into that home, helping them with that down payment assistance portion. And so someone was very concerned about what that might mean about who their neighbor is, well, and the minimum has recently changed, but the amount of money that you can make to qualify for that program for a family of four is still about $52,000 a year. Okay. Well, it makes it takes a CSISD teacher almost a dozen years or more to make that much money a year. Right. And so you're talking about your child's teacher. You know, right. is that an okay person to have living next to you in an affordable housing development? And so I think... Would I be willing to discuss it? Absolutely, because I think there needs to be more discussion. People yeah. need to feel less afraid. People need to feel less divisiveness. And I think communication is an excellent bridge in helping us feel more unified as we try to solve this problem. We're not going to solve it unless we do it together. Now, let me get into what we were talking off the air earlier about, and that is a potential ordinance that has kind of caused a lot of a stir over this summer that the council has discussed several times in the PNZ as well. I'd like a little more of your input. And this is the, I call it the no more than two unrelated potential ordinance. Now, before I ask you this, I actually saw that you shared an article. I think it was on Facebook. The battalion recently published a pretty well thought out, interesting opinion piece that was opposing this ordinance and basically kind of went into some reasons why this student felt that this was going to be bad. But I kind of like to get your take first. What is this ordinance? And then second, what would it do and do you support it? A lot of questions. Okay. So actually, I don't know your stance on it. I have a very firm stance and I'm happy to share that with you. And yeah. hopefully we can still be friends afterwards. Right. I completely oppose the rule. I'm completely against it. Okay. And so... And the RU is uh, is what we're talking about. It's the... Yeah, it's the restricted occupancy overlay. Okay. And it's a way for neighborhoods to impose a no more than two unrelated rule in their neighborhood. Okay. 
and I have a number of reasons that I'm against it. If a neighborhood feels passionately that they want such a rule, mm -hmm. they can go through their homeowners association and impose such a rule. Or if they don't have a homeowner association, they could get a deed restriction put on their sure. neighborhood and get such a rule. The difference in having a rue and having the restricted occupancy overlay that's done by the city is that if you get one of these, then the city is responsible for the enforcement of that ordinance. Wow. That's the difference. Yeah. And I don't think the government should be in the business of monitoring who sleeps in my house. That's that's just the bottom line. As the city has presented a draft, and at this point, at this point in the podcast, in the timeline, it's just a draft right now, and they're still seeking public input. But at this point, the definition of family is one or two degrees of consanguinity, mm -hmm. which means if you have a single mom with her child that's living with a significant other, they would be violators. Mm -hmm. If you have two brothers and a cousin living together, they would be violators. Mm -hmm. And so I think it pits neighbors against neighbors. I think it divides us into us's and them's. I think it makes neighbors very interested in monitoring what's going on in their neighbor's house. And I, I respect and understand issues about noise, trash, and parking. Typically, when I visit with somebody about this, they say, well, you know, there's just a lot of noise and there's a lot of traffic and there's a lot of parking. And the truth of the matter is the city has ordinances to address noise, parking, and trash. We do have behavior ordinances. And if someone is causing an uproar next to you, you do have some recourse today. Right. Already on the books, uh, you can reach out and get some help to address noise, parking, and trash. Yes. But this goes a step further. This goes beyond the front door of your home and into your bedroom and tries to assess and monitor how those people are related to each other that are living in that home. Right. And so I have serious reservations about imposing a rule, spending government dollars trying to monitor this situation. As the city has done research with sister cities, they found that there's a lot of staff time that's devoted to try to enforce this with very nominal results. Yes. It's very difficult to enforce this kind of ordinance because it is very invasive. And so a lot of times they're taking pictures of license plates and copying license plates down and trying to track whose house they think that person's going to. It's just far too much Orwellian for me. I don't think that's where the government should be spending their time, effort, and money. Yeah. And then, like I said earlier, it's all interconnected. Right. So sometimes when a family is looking at homelessness and they're trying to find another alternative, they sometimes move in with other families for a period of time. Mm -hmm. It's not super comfortable. They're not going to stay there yeah. longer than absolutely necessary. But sometimes the economy being what it is, those kinds of concessions need to be made. Right. And as long as long as they can manage their trash parking and noise, I think we should say bless you for taking in families and trying to make things work and for opening your home. I think the commandment that we've been given is to love our neighbor, not to choose our neighbor. And when we start to try to choose our neighbors, we're really, really far off where I think a really unified community belongs. And so I am passionately against the Rue on so many levels. I'm happy to field more questions about it. And if you are for the Rue, I hope at the end we can still be friends. But, um, <laughs> It's not the end all be all, but it's definitely something I feel very passionately about. If you would, could you give me your take on the single member versus the system you have now? And are you interested in looking at other alternatives? 
So I think Brian has two at-large positions and five district positions. Is that correct? If you include the mayor, then yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so college station positions are all at-large. Right. I get that question a lot when I'm door knocking. Well, mm -hmm. pre-COVID when I used to door knock. Sure, sure. Because people are not sure if, if we do at-large. So all of our positions are at-large. The benefit to that is you have city councilmen that are supposed to be tasked with the good of the community as a whole and not advocating for their particular neighborhood. But as you've said, our currently seated council does not have a lot of diversity in it, right. including geography. Right. I think uh, five out of the six all live east of the bypass. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think any of them, well, I'm not sure how big Linda's house is. My house is a thousand square feet, maybe a thousand seventy five square feet. And so that's where I raised, you know, four kids and we've had yeah, mul sure. multiple families living in there. And it's it's tight. I mean, it's but there's things you learn through experience that would be right. more difficult to learn just from anecdotes, you know, mm -hmm. like, like I tried to take the bus to school. I try yeah. to use mass transit. I tried yeah. to do some bicycling. And so that's different than just knowing about the bus system when you're trying right. to decide how much funding or how they're doing or what their route times are like. There's nothing like living it to really be able to understand it. And so I understand the draw for districts. The bottom line is the voters have a lot of option in diversifying their council. Hmm. They have the ultimate ability to diversify their ballots and to go up to the polls and diversify who wins. They get to choose. Hmm. And so I ran in November of 2018 for the first time. It was a three-person race and I won that race by quite a bit, but not by 50% plus one. Right. And so I lost the runoff and then mm -hmm. I thought, okay, we're going to take a little break. It's very demanding on right. on your family, and, and, oh, and yeah. running running is running is hard. And so I thought I'd take a break. November of 2019 came, and Brian had three races, and College Station had one race. And somebody commented during the course of that race that I was not involved in that there there are no women on this ballot. Yeah, not in not the three Brian races, not the College Station race. There just wasn't. And I thought. Oh my goodness, you know, I could have ran. I could have. And so then when Eleanor Vasali's seat popped open just a little bit after that election, I thought, okay, there are going to be women on this ballot because I'm going to put my name on that ballot. And then the voters can decide whether they diversify that sitting council or not. Sure. And so I would challenge listeners to think if they feel like they're in an underrepresented part of the city that's not currently reflected on the council, they can run. We need ordinary people who do ordinary things, who live ordinary lives on the council. Because strong councils, really strong councils, have very many different perspectives so that you can take one issue and put it in the middle of the table and everybody sees it from a different angle and can describe yeah. it in a different angle. And then you can get towards real solutions. When you vote in a very like-minded, a very homogenous city council, you start to have blind spots because you don't have people seated all around an issue. And so I understand the draw for districts, but I will tell you it's the voters' fault if the ballot is not diverse, 
It's the voter's fault if the diversity doesn't make it onto the council. They have to own who's on the ballot because they could have put themselves on the ballot. And they have to own who wins or who loses because they control the ballot box. And so really, there's a lot of power in voting and in participation. And so I hope the voters shoulder that. Should we go to a district? Should we not go to a district? I think it's worth discussing. I think we should sit around in a room and say, okay, what would make our council stronger, more representative, more diverse? It's a great, great conversation. But between now and then, the voters really control who's on the ballot and who wins. And so if they want councilmen that don't live on the east side, that Mm. don't make 100K plus a year, they can choose it that aren't 65 or over and have their taxes frozen. Okay. (laughs) So when they vote for property tax increases, theirs don't increase. Voters can choose that if they want. No, that's a really good point. And that brings me to ask you this, you know, you're in it right now, you're running for some of our listeners, hopefully some of our Habitat homeowners, even that live in College Station, in order to run, what is the investment in terms of like upfront costs and then time, but particularly how much does it cost to put your name on the ballot? Yes. What a wonderful question. People will sometimes ask at the beginning of interviews, uh, what qualifies you to be on the city council? Turns out the qualifications to be on the city council is you have to be eligible to be a voter in the city limits Mm -hmm. for a year. You Mm -hmm. have to have lived in the city limits for a year and be a registered voter. That's it. Really? That's it. And so, you know, I, I mean, I'll tell you, I've served on all these boards and I, mm-hmm. you know, I do all of these service. All of that is extra to put your name on the ballot. You have to have been a citizen in the city of College Station for a year and be a registered voter. That's the qualifications. So it's very entry level. It's very mm-hmm. open to anybody that wants to come in. There is no fee. No There's fee. no fee to apply and put your name on the ballot. There is not. There's a little bit of paperwork, but I will tell you, if you show the tiniest bit of interest, current and formal council members will come and support you and help guide you through the paperwork. And so it's a little scary at the first. I'm not going to, it's not, you know, it's in it. And sometimes it can get scary in the middle, but if you choose to live without fear, you can, you can participate. There's no there's no barriers to participation. And in running, you make fabulous connections like you. I mean, I didn't know yeah. you before I ran. And so there's value in running. Uh, does it cost, are there costs involved? If you want the signs, you know, if you right. want all of that, there are some costs involved. I personally do not accept campaign donations mm-hmm. because as I've said on my website, I don't want to divert money to a campaign that would have naturally gone to a charitable organization in our community. I don't want to divert funds. You know, people are going to give so much percentage of their income every year. And I think if I don't take it for politics, it might naturally divert to, well, Habitat, for instance, right? And so I'm very committed to not accepting campaign donations because I feel like I don't want to detract from monies that would otherwise go to, to charitable causes in our community. And so I spend very little money on the elections. Some candidates will spend tens of thousands of dollars on an election and I feel like at this level of politics mm-hmm. that that's just 
that's just wasteful. It's not warranted. They spend tens of thousands of dollars on things that they're going to throw away the day after election day. And if <laughs> those monies could be reinvested in a charity, then you've invested that money in something that's going to impact tomorrow for, for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And so I wouldn't let cost make someone hesitate to run because if you are willing to accept campaign, I think I'm the only candidate that doesn't. Most candidates accept campaign donations. The only and, one. I think I might be, really? <laughs> but I'm, well, I'm not positive because I haven't looked through all the new guys' <laughs> websites, but I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. So you shouldn't feel obligated to not accept campaign donations. Sure. If somebody's interested, if somebody has the passion for representing the citizens of the city, I would encourage them to look into it and to really try. Your job is not to impersonate staff. Your job is not to know everything. Your job is to listen to everything. Your job is to represent the citizens and try to make their lives better and not harder. And so if that resonates with someone and you've lived in the city of College Station for a year, and I think, I'm not sure when you're publishing this, but I think you can still put your name on the ballot till the middle of August. And it'll come around next year. You know, every year there's some seat on the ballot. And I think the key to diversifying our seated council is reminding people that you can do it. November is coming up real soon. So if there's anything else that you want them to know and then how they can help your campaign, if that's what they would like to do. Sure. Thank you for that. So I will tell you that November is just around the corner, but October is even closer. And so early voting starts October 13th. So as soon as October 13th, you can start to early vote. And then my website is kunaforcitycouncil.com. My email is kunaforcitycouncil at gmail.com. That's a great place to look more closely at my platforms. If you have questions, I'm happy to respond. I'd love to start a conversation with you. We didn't even touch on impact fees and how those affect housing affordability. I mean, (laughs) the topic is huge and it's so broad. Mostly, I'd like your listeners to know that the city is a great place to live because it's made up of great individuals. Mm-hmm. And we just invite everyone to lift where they stand and to make the contribution that they feel called to make. And if we each do that, then we'll really achieve that unity we're looking for. Same is not an attribute. It's a destination, right? Mm-hmm. We don't have to be the same. We just have to go the same direction. And I think that direction is building a community that we all feel safe and included and a part of. And that's really where my heart is. And so I'm grateful to have gotten to know you a little better over the course of this race and to learn a little bit more about the program that you offer. There are so many programs. There's no reason for a listener to feel alone or to feel hopeless or like it's not possible for them. It is possible for them. And as we make affordable housing possible for everyone, for all of us, then we naturally reduce traffic congestion because people are able to live near where they work. A lot of the issues that make people grumbly are naturally resolved as you increase home ownership, as you increase affordable housing, and that's where we get our unity. So kunaforcitycouncil.com, I'd love to have you come check it out. Email me with your questions. Talking is my speciality. I'd, I'd love to spend some time with you. Ms. Kuna, we really appreciate the time you have spent with Think Brazos today. Just a reminder to our listeners, November 4th, correct? November November 3rd. It'll Uh be all over November 4th. We'll be done. November 3rd is the election. Uh, Elizabeth Kuna is running for city council, place four. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope to see you very soon. Okay. Thank you so much, Charles.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Think Brasses. Be sure to check out our other interviews and let us know what you think by leaving us a review. And when you're at the ballot box this November, just remember, think local, think Brazos.